something that I think we've all learned is that during the creative process, elite creatives like Neil Strauss, they, they come upon things where they're not quite sure like what to do. It could be a world building question. It could be trying to figure out a plot point or something that's genre defining. And typically like, you know, a creator might like meditate on the point or, or ask their friends or they've got some process. And in this case, anytime Neil came upon like one of those points, he posted a question to the writer's room and he basically sourced the creative direction from the group of holders. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host today. I'm excited to be joined by the co-founders of Jenkins the Valet, C8 Follow Ape, aka Safa and Valet Jones. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having us on. You're welcome. I've been following you all for a long time, really since the beginning of my NFT journey, since that started with the Board Ape Yacht Club for me as well. I'm wearing my Board Ape merch since I've got some fellow apes here I'm, I'm talking with, and since Jenkins is is an ape himself. So I think this is a cool conversation because what I've seen with Jenkins the Valet has been really a like a precedent, a case study in how communities can form around NFT projects, how they can be collaborative, and just some of what I think a lot of people love about NFTs in general. So really want to dive into you know what you've got going on, how NFTs have helped be like at the core of that mission and community, how community has been the core of that mission and how you've grown from there. But just to start off, can you give us a, a walkthrough of, you know, really what led you to creating the whole concept and project that is Jenkins the Valet and all that it's become? Yeah, totally. I mean, so much credit goes to Yuga Labs and what Yuga really pioneered back in April and May of 2021. Certainly the NFT space existed before them. And even, you know, in late 2020 and into the beginning of 2021, you know, we would see people with NFT avatars as their profile pictures. But what Yuga did with the Board Ape Yacht Club is they introduced art that was sort of a level of fidelity higher than like CryptoPunks, for example, and other like pixel art. And they gave the full uncapped commercial rights to their holders. And those two things created, I think, a really incredible community. And Safa and myself were inspired to join that community. And we were inspired to try to contribute, you know, as best we could to that community by like bringing some level of creativity to the table. We had noticed that, you know, a lot of folks were doing different things in the Board Ape Yacht Club. Some were organizing events, some were putting apes on merch and on wine and things like that. And we decided that one of the best things we could do to contribute to the space would be to create a character. So we bought Ape 1798. We named him Jenkins the Valet. The next day with about 30 followers, we, we wrote a story about who Jenkins was. We introduced him as the head valet at the Yacht Club. It was such a big deal when he got the job that his mom cried. And he, he's never said no to doing an odd job that like a patron has brought him. 
and that story really resonated with the community and we've really been you know off to the races writing stories and and building ip with our community like ever since wow that's awesome you just started from the beginning like that with just the 30 followers and and the story kind of like was born and blossomed from there did you know at the time that the creators of the board ap yacht club were writers themselves and really had like a focus on the lore and story behind like what the yacht club is too when we first created the character we actually didn't know anything about them aside from, I guess, what the rest of the community knew. As we started to really develop Jenkins, and I think they saw how serious we were, we started to build a really awesome relationship with them that obviously led to us you know, setting like the first long-form piece of work in their world, which takes a lot of trust in us. But yeah, we, we got to know them. We learned more about their background, became clear that they really love literature, and it's been a huge influence for them. And so as we got to know each other more, it, it became clear why one, I think why we saw eye to eye on so many things, but but two, why why they appreciated what we were doing with Jenkins. Yeah, I think the story for this podcast episode is going to be, or the themes is going to be stories and community. And I'm going to ask one question for each, but first is a question on the story. Like when you set up that initial story, did you have where you are today kind of mapped out in your head? Did you know that's where you were going to want to eventually work? Or was it just kind of something you were doing really for fun, to engage with fellow like apes and whatnot or did it kind of spiral from there or did you really think that it was going to develop into like a, a successful nft project on its own yeah that is a super interesting question you know the answer is sort of both the same exact principles that we believed in then i think are exactly what we believe in now we never could have guessed that like it would have turned out this way though. I mean, what we thought then was, was, Hey, like NFT avatars are this like really amazing, like nudge in a direction to exercise creativity. That's just true. And you can see in the space how true it is because we are far from the only people who are doing like interesting or creative things with NFT avatars. And so our goal at the very beginning was to contribute to the space. And when that first story went well, we wrote again and we, and we sort of kept writing and the following kept growing and people were really engaging with what we were doing. And so, you know, from, from that new context, we looked at each other and we were like, Hey, like, what could we do that might allow us to engage the community and work together to like do something at like a, on like a slightly bigger stage. And that was what motivated us, like making, you know, the writer's room and, and leading to our first NFT drop. And I think everything that's happened even since then has always been motivated by that same belief, which is that there's like this explosion of creativity that comes out from NFT ownership and from being like a participant in Web3. And that we can we can all work together to tell like better stories than we could do on our own. But like there's no way we could have guessed that it would look like this back then, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting that you kind of touched on some themes I wanted to get to in the pod too, which is just the ownership and identity around NFTs and how that impacts your behavior online or changes how you approach, you know, creative endeavors. It's, it sounds like you, you see the digital profile picture, like the PFP movement as helping unlock people, is it be more comfortable or be more creative online? Am I, am I capturing that right a little bit? I think that's one way to put it for sure. I mean, everyone probably has different motivations. I know, you know, VJ and I for sure were 
would not have posted a short story. Well, I don't want to speak for VJ. I mean, it's literally what we did. So I think I can speak for VJ. We would never have posted this as our as ourselves, right? Because when you have no following, no audience, and you're you want to put something out there creatively, there's always like a fear of failure generally, right? So it's to be able to really get into character, obfuscate that and have fun, I think is is super important. You know, for other people, it, maybe it's not that. I think for some, it's like creative inspiration, right? Many folks are more creative than they realize, right? Or they suffer from writer's block or there's nothing scarier than a blank page. Now with NFTs, you're given a community. That community oftentimes has lore. That character oftentimes have traits that skew you in one way. So all of a sudden, the elements that that are required to tell a story start to come together in a really magical way. And you just kind of you know push the snowball down the hill. And so our goal in a lot of what we do at Tally Labs is, okay, we did this with Jenkins. There's 99.9% of people who feel that Maybe they aren't creative or they don't have the bandwidth or they don't have the resources to do this. How can we build things that help them do this? And how can we ensure that there's many, many more Jenkins valets because the space will be far better off for it? Yeah, really, really like that. And how you're thinking about how do we get other people to also play a part or unlock that creativity? I saw something kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe it was on Twitter. It might have been somewhere else, but it was kind of showcasing the shift in social media a little bit. And one of the points was... Instagram really used to feel aspirational where you posted pictures of yourself doing like the highlight reels of your life. And now social media feels a lot more like inspirational. I see some of that with being able to use an NFT as your digital identity, as your profile picture. When you're not using your face, it's a little bit less like, look at me. And I think it becomes more inviting in a sense. And you can tap into some community in a maybe a different way than it was if it's just your face every time. But very cool. I mean, let's let's dive into Bored and Dangerous and some of the writer's room things that you've got going on. So if you want to fill everyone in, like what is the writer's room and how did that lead to Bored and Dangerous? From my understanding, you know, it's a collective of people of NFT holders who all worked collectively to contribute to the first community generated NFT. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think you say it better than we can. <laughs> that was really well said. The writer's room is a group of people. It's also the name of our NFT project. And so through Jenkins the Ballet, we brought to market an NFT project called the Writer's Room. The collection of people who own Writer's Room NFTs make up this like distributed Writer's Room of people who live like all across the world. And we brought to market with those NFTs uh, a software platform where the group of people who hold the NFTs could, could authenticate by proving that they own the NFT and then do a set of things. They could license their NFT avatars to appear in like a long form piece of work. In the first instance of, of Writer's Room Media, they could license Bored Apes and Mutant Apes to appear in the book called Bored and Dangerous that we wrote with Neil Strauss. They could take the NFT avatars that they licensed to the work and write character backstories for them. So they could essentially take their NFT avatar and turn it into a character, just like we took Ape 1798 and turned it into Jenkins the Ballet. They could name them. They could say where they were from. They could write sort of interesting, like copy about them. And then they also had the ability to submit ideas to us and to Neil and to vote on questions that Neil asked of them as he was writing the book. So Something that I think we've all learned is that during the creative process, elite creatives like Neil Strauss, they, they come upon things where they're not quite sure like what to do. It could be a world building question. It could be trying to figure out a plot point or something that's genre defining. 
And typically like, you know, a creator might like meditate on the point or, or ask their friends or they've got some process. And in this case, anytime Neil came upon like one of those points, he posted a question to the writer's room and he basically sourced the creative direction from the group of holders. And so in that way, you know, there were more than 3000 people that contributed to sourcing the creative direction for Bored and Dangerous. And now there's a whole bunch of other media that we're going to be coming out with through the writer's room because Bored and Dangerous was really just like the first of, of what we think is, you know, going to be years and years of, of like content coming out of that space. Yeah, that, very cool. I actually licensed my Mutant Ape that I had at the time to a holder, a writer's room NFT holder was able to use one of his license keys for my mutant. So that was cool. I know I'm I'm in the where's like the where's Waldo, like the where's Jenkins map. Is that what you call it? Is is it the map? Like the piece of art where all the mutants and apes are that were licensed in the book. So from afar, I felt like a little bit of part of the process, even though I wasn't a member of the writer's room myself. But you mentioned just now like something that you learned through the process of working with Neil on how he kind of taps into some creativity and poses questions to the group. Are you able to throw out a couple, you know, two, three lessons from creating that would help other Web3 entrepreneurs or community builders who are looking to maybe see what you did and take some of those best practices over to what they're doing too? Because you looped in a best-selling author and 3,000 plus people in your project. And I think that's really novel. Yeah. I mean, the thesis, you know, we kind of said at the beginning, but the thesis that, that we had when we started it was that thousands of people from all over the world can come together to make something better than like we could by ourselves. And we truly believe that. And I think after this process, I think Neil truly believes it as well. To Vijay's point, there's so many things that there's so many ways that creatives combat writer's block or whatever it is that they do. I think if you were to ask Neil, he would say that being able to balance an idea off of 3000 people is incredibly like invaluable, or I guess you'd say valuable. And I think it made for like a really awesome work. And after having coming out of it, I think there's for sure things that we learned, for sure things that we could have done better. Every single time we do one of these, we're going to improve. But our hope is that is that folks do take note, right? And, and that they adopt this in some way. They democratize the way the content's created. They put their own spin on it. Because ultimately, like that's that's how disruption happens and that's how an industry can get can get shifted. And that's really our goal. We don't need to be the people doing it every time. And I think a good example is, you know, community generative content and community voting, community lore creation has already started to take off a lot. And so is licensing, right? Especially after what we did. And so I think there's a lot of people who have picked up on it and, and they're putting their own spin on it. And that's really cool to see. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned licensing there. Like what's the takeaway for how people should be thinking about maybe trying to license NFTs? Like is that for is that for every project or every person? Or do you think there's a specific group of people that looking to actually license their NFT for other creative work really falls into? I think that there's likely not like a single answer. And it's, it's probably like case by case to some degree. For us, the thing that we think is so compelling about NFT licensing is that it's a way for someone to let their creativity flow into like other creative works. So you've got all these people out there that are exercising creativity in one way or another. They're creating characters. They're building a brand around avatars. Like they don't have to be completely like fictitious. Jenkins the Valet is obviously like just a fake character. Thread Guy, our director of vibes at Tally Labs and, and really sort of just like a, you know, obviously an influential member of the Web3 space is just as tied to like his mutant ape 
as Jenkins is to the board ape, but Thread Guy is, you know, is not the same type of character. But folks build, like they build value that accrues back to this asset and they own the commercial rights to that asset. And a licensing agreement is, you know, we think once you've done the legal work and once you've done the, the software work, and so you've got the platform and you've got the agreements, a licensing agreement is, is a really awesome way to like take creativity and like shoot it into to something that like another creator is working on. And I believe that there are, you know, countless examples, not just in like book writing, but in really any type of creative that where like folks might stand to gain by leaning into licensing NFT avatars. Yeah. Have we seen a NFT take off from like the licensing or IP around that specific character take off like we would a traditional, I mean, obviously we're nowhere near a traditional Disney character yet, right? But I, I think Jenkins is one of the more standout individual characters amongst a collection. Board Ape Yacht Club has now gone global, but I don't know, has a specific ape or NFT in a different collection gone quote unquote global around its IP, its recognizability yet? I think it's probably easiest to, to just quote you, which was Jenkins is, is up there without saying it ourselves. I think we're really proud of the work that we've done. I think most people would say we've sort of broken down barriers as to what an NFT character can do. There's a lot of folks out there who we really respect. And also our goal is for many of them, many of the ones that appeared in our book to see lift from this, right? Like Captain Trippy and every other yacht character, our goal is to is to try and bring value back. So there's so many awesome ones. That's a large like selling point of the writer's room, right? Is is we're not just going to create one book. We're going to create, you know, dozens of pieces of content. So so we think that the mark of like a great character isn't just how big that character gets, it's how big they're able to bring other people along with them. But outside of that, I mean, I think all of the mega mutants have like massive potential. We're huge fans of of many of those owners and, and know that they have some really exciting plans. Curtis and Jimmy have like massive potential, right? I don't think Yuga has like fully unleashed the, the, the power that can come from there. There's for sure more coming, but I think we've laid like a really cool groundwork and and, and hope that others kind of see what we're doing and, and feel inspired themselves. Totally. I'm pretty sure on the piece of eight merch I'm wearing, I'm pretty sure Jimmy's on the back. So yeah, I would love to see them continue to expand that too. Let's talk about some challenges. What challenges arose from this that maybe wouldn't have in a traditional writing setting? I mean, you spoke about how Neil Strauss found some of the feedback that he got from this group of people who was really dedicated to you know, helping throughout the creative process. That was helpful. Was there anything unhelpful or that you had to work through, didn't expect, caused the roadblock? Just this isn't a knock on what you're trying to do. I'm really curious because it's so new. There's an essence of almost you don't know what you don't know until you go through it. Yeah, this is a little different than like, I think your typical book, because the process of like being in the writer's room and contributing to the book meant that the story sort of unfolded in a few different ways, all the way from signing Neil through launching the book, there were like points in time where the community engaged with like the creative process. You know, we've never written a book outside of this process. And so it would be challenging, I think, to like say exactly what would have been different had we done it alone. But I can say we learned a lot about how we can make it better next time. For example, there was a stretch early on where Neil was hosting like gated town halls in our Discord and folks could come up and sort of describe bits about their characters like in character. One thing that we learned is 
it's way different to like write and to craft a story and to craft like a brand around an NFT avatar than it is to like speak as them. For example, like literally coming onto a Discord stage and like talking like Jenkins the ballet is like a, is a far more challenging thing than it is to like think about like how Jenkins would respond to something. And so to that end, we've spent like a lot of time and that's not on Neil, by the way, it's just like the way that we thought it, it would work. So to that end, we've, we've crafted a lot of the future iterations of our software platform to pull out more like character development from people who, who like have things to say about their characters in ways that we think, you know, make sense for what folks are expecting. And so I think like the process that we used to like write Bored and Dangerous hopefully will be the worst that we ever do. And I thought, I thought it was great, but because of like the learning experience, I'm not sure though what I would say, like what, what would have been better had we not done it at all? Because to be honest, like the, like the book just wouldn't exist without it. Yeah. I guess I hadn't thought about the difference between speaking as the character versus thinking about how the character would respond. Because when you enter public forums, I mean, even this podcast, right? So both of you control the voice behind like Jenkins, right? But right now you're speaking from more of your own perspective, not a Jenkins perspective. And that's an interesting delineation on this kind of digital identity persona I think people are exploring right now. When are you the PFP and when are you yourself? I think for us, we're fortunate, and this doesn't happen to everyone, right? But we're fortunate to get big enough where it wasn't sustainable. I think for most, like you maybe you don't reach that level and you kind of always are, are a little confused. Whereas VJ is probably better equipped to speak to it, right? Because it started off as his account. But after a certain point, it was just so much of a brand account that it was it was not sustainable, right, for, for VJ to, to be in there. And so that was why, obviously, it's really important that he established his own brand and his own identity, like as a founder, where he can step outside of the character. And and together, we can speak about really important business initiatives and share our perspectives and, you know, do things like we did with this botched reveal, right, where we can come out as people and and admit to what happened. And so I don't know, VJ, I'd be curious to hear your perspective. You're probably better equipped to speak on it. But uh, but yeah, we, we, got, we definitely got to a point where it became a brand and it, it became harder to speak as like an individual. Yeah. To your question at the beginning about like when we started it, could we have expected, like, did we have the end in mind? And I don't think we're even close to the end yet. I thought it would be really cool to like act like a valet on Twitter. <laughs> there were just so many apes, right? And, and they were all doing really cool stuff. And I was thinking like, yeah, you know, if we write like this, this ape and it's Jenkins the valet and you could imagine like, somebody posting something and we would just be in the replies being like, Hey, you're drunk. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you your keys or something like that. Right. And so early on, I would say the character and the person were one and the same. Safa and I, I think are like fairly entrepreneurial and at some point realized that there was this exciting thing going on that we wanted to try to like build more to support. And when that happened, Jenkins had to take on a, like, like a bigger voice. And so we scaled that. And I would say that, you know, today, for sure, Safa speaks more as Jenkins than I do. And other folks touch the Jenkins account. It's just shifted. And I think that there's not like a playbook. It's, it's just, it's just gone how it, how it's gone. And then as Valet Jones and Safa, you might as well be talking to us as humans. The only thing is that like the camera's not on and my name isn't my name, but everything else that we're chatting is just like me as a human. That's not hard at all. That's actually what we saw people doing before we started Jenkins. 
actually to pass it back to you, Safa, you might actually find the challenge to be more difficult because now that we're really running like a brand account, when I was posting as Jenkins, Jenkins was strictly a character. Now Jenkins has to give like business news and be a character sort of at the same time. And I think that that's like a unique challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Whenever we have like a meaningful post that needs to go live, it's always we're trying to discuss like where to put it out. Jenkins is by far the company's like largest account, right? And so anything that we post there gets the most reach. You can make an argument that that potentially some of the things should be posted from Tally, some should be posted from Azerbala. Sometimes Jenkins acts as a first person character who was like in jail. Sometimes he says we and he speaks on behalf of Tally Labs. I don't know that it's something that we've totally perfected. I also think the community has been willing to like suspend disbelief and treat it as a brand account and understand that it can kind of go in and out of character. But yeah, when when that is like has such a larger share of voice than really anything else that we have, I guess outside of Thread Guy, it can be challenging to to figure out when to be in character, when not to, for sure. Yeah, no, it's just interesting takes to hear because uh, especially for creators or entrepreneurs, I think a lot of people are thinking through some of the same. When is my voice this, and when can my voice shift to be something else? So just cool to hear how you're thinking about it. You did mention the art reveal that happened last week. I'd love to dive into that for a second since we are talking so much about community. And I've got a couple quotes here to share with the listeners because I think they were really great takes from you all. And this is referencing the Azerbala art, which you two can dive into more. But the first quote I have is, we failed at doing the very thing that we do best, which is to involve the community in the creative process. And the second quote from a Medium post that you just put out today was, we built for the community and failed. That's especially embarrassing when our business is one defined by building with the community. So I love that distinction there, building for the community and building with the community. And so going through this art creation process as the next evolution in the NFT projects, and there was a big art reveal and the community, maybe it didn't, it didn't land and resonate with them as much. How are you changing your approach now and looping in that community? And, and I guess, why is that so important? Yeah, it's massively important, right? Tally Labs was founded on this principle that with the community, you can make something far better than you can make on your own. Obviously, when we said that, that was in reference to a novel, but we've really come to embody that like in everything that we do. Our intentions with the PFP were like really pure. We wanted to wow the community, right? We wanted to surprise and delight them. We wanted to make something really special that they'd love, all of those things. And, and obviously that caused us to keep everything really close to the vest. We were confident in the work, right? So it caused us to market the reveal and make a really cool video for it and, and drive a lot of hype. And obviously if the art lands, we look like geniuses. The art didn't land and we looked like idiots, which really sucked. So we want to get back to our roots. The one thing that we do uh, really want to be clear about is that there's 100% a such thing as too many cooks in the kitchen. Nobody stands to gain from thousands of people all weighing in with different opinions and us not being able to find consensus. So we believe we've we've found a really sort of fun and, and unique way around that. Much more will, will be released in the coming weeks, especially with respect to the community council. There's some like really awesome members of our team who are leading that. So I want to let them share it when they're ready. But it's going to feel a lot like the book. The very first thing we did is we got to work on a on a gated survey within a to-be-revealed Azerbala member site. 
which is going to be the home for all things Azerbala. I think it's really awesome. I don't think many projects have have dropped something like this, and it's going to allow folks to find one another. It's going to allow them to, over time, right, interact with the official lore, create their own lore, surface that lore, develop their character, et cetera. It's going to be really awesome. But the first thing that that, that, that website is going to be able to do is you're going to be able to authenticate that you own a B&D or a Writer's Room NFT, and you're going to be able to give us raw, unfiltered feedback on the PFPs what you liked, what you hated, what resonated, what didn't. Did you like 2D? Did you like 3D? Did you like the streetwear? Do you want more jungle? What words do you think of when you think of the ideal Azerbala collection? All questions that we're going to ask people. And the reason that we're doing that is we need we need this data. Like we, we can't be scrolling on social media trying to parse through who's calling us idiots and, and calling this a Ponzi scheme versus who's giving really constructive feedback. So this is our way to separate signal from the noise, go directly to our community, figure out what they want, and then from there, we have a whole bunch of information that we can use to push this forward and source the right artists. And then I don't know, VJ, if you want to talk about like on an ongoing basis, once we have that data, what what the community integration looks like. Yeah, happy to. To the point about like the, even the quotes at the top, that's the part of this where we like feel the failure the most. The failure wasn't on Friday, right? The failure was like in the months that led up to Friday where we didn't engage the community like in the way that like is our commitment and is literally like what our business does. And so the good news or the flip side of that is that we've been working on all this software to engage the community in new ways with their Azurians, with their writers from NFTs, like so that they can contribute to, to like, you know, new stories that we're all going to tell together. And we're going to begin to use those features first to source the direction for the PFPs to Safa's point. Essentially, what will happen is we have similar to Board and Dangerous, we have like a number of rounds of questions that we'll ask the community the community will submit their answers, will be able to like query the data, find out like where consensus is, find out where there may be like points of contention and go back, basically ask questions, synthesize the feedback, report back to the community what that feedback was and, and ask new questions. We'll do like a few rounds of that, but just like Born Dangerous, and I know that the community has been telling us this in Discord as well, it's really important that we don't do like PFPs by 3,000 people. We need like a creative leader. And with Board and Dangerous, it was Neil Strauss. With this new round of PFPs, it'll be an art director or a creative director or an artist like who is proven to be able to do like awesome generative PFP art. We'll take the, the community feedback and essentially like write the brief with them based off of their guidance report back to them what we're hearing so they know that we heard that, that we heard them and so that they can tell us if we got anything sort of wrong or if we if we like misconstrued anything and then package that up and 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 pass that to like an amazing artist that that folks approve of who we believe you know can do the work at the quality that like we expect to be done and that our community expects to be done yeah no appreciate that breakdown make makes a lot of sense and I think it's interesting how you're kind of talking through sometimes there is a leader for some of this creative work and there's a community for feedback. And it's it's not all 100% equal in terms of who's leading that direction because, yeah, there definitely can be too many cooks in the kitchen. And I was kind of wondering how you were thinking through that. I'd like to talk about token gating real quick. So we talked a lot about writing and creating I'd switch a little bit and think about the consumption and the reading of Bored and Dangerous in the book. And I was curious, for token gating, does that unlock any interesting reading experiences that wouldn't be possible without the NFTs? 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, the fact that this book is an NFT allows us to do so much, right? We, well, first off, there was no like really awesome token gated like reading solutions out there. We decided to build our own. We have a really awesome product design and engineering team who took charge there. And it's something that we're going to use for a really long time. And hopefully other projects can use as well. The fact that it's an NFT, right? You can authenticate. There's no there's no login needed. You prove that you own it. And then there's really cool things that we can do. So an cu- example of like a couple of features in this reader are um, obviously all the characters featured are apes. So we're able to search by ape, whether it's in an illustration or it's actually mentioned by name. You can see where every single licensed ape shows up, which is really cool. You're able to sort of like digitally leave a bookmark so you know where you left off. VJ, what other features am I am I missing that that are enabled by this reader? Not NFT specific, but we've embedded and we've built functionality to to support like Easter eggs and things like that because a reading experience can be more fun if it's like gamified and there's sort of stuff that you're searching for while you're doing it. Mm, that's cool. So two more questions I have for you is around the can't be evil licenses and also working with CAA. So I haven't gotten the chance to work with anyone who's really like interacting with a talent agency. And I feel like maybe six to eight months ago in the NFT space, we started to see some known creators sign with talent agencies. And that was like big news, thinking about how you can work with work to spread your IP. So can you give me any insight into like some of the top benefits that working with an agency has helped unlock for you, whether that's relationships or new innovative ways to use the Jenkins like IP? Yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't say that uh, it's a huge credibility and validity boost. When we signed to CAA August of last year, August of 2021, I think we were the first NFT character to sign to a major talent agency. So there wasn't really a precedent that was set. And our community loved it because it was one of the first times that Hollywood had shown that they were like really embracing NFTs. I think there was like a Forbes article that came out covering our signing to them. And the title was literally, is Hollywood embracing NFTs? So that was really cool. And it was a huge just morale boost for our community. Obviously, after that wore off, there's been so many other ways that they've brought value. A couple like really concrete examples. They structured the deal with, with Neil Strauss. So we knew that we needed an awesome author. We obviously worked with Neil creatively. CA got the deal done. We had never negotiated like an author deal before. We had no idea what that was was going to look like. We let the experts kind of do their thing. They also introduced us to Salt Audio. Salt is our partner on this fiction podcast. Obviously, really big for our business. Um, Emma Nidell, CAA client. They introduced us to Emma. So right there, Azerbala, Bored and Dangerous, and, and the Jenkins Audio Experience, all of the creative partners for each of those arised out of CAA relationships. There's a number of other intros that they've made that have not sort of seen the light of day yet, but have been really instrumental that hopefully we can talk about in the future. But yeah, they're like our line to Hollywood. So publishers, production companies, studios, whatever, there's very few people they aren't, they're more than like one or two calls away from. They're sort of our shepherds into that space. Very cool. Yeah, no, I I was curious. And I think people listening that are building IP or lore around certain, you know, NFT characters themselves, hearing that might give them inspiration or a goal to work towards. So I wanted to ask. And then jumping to the can't be evil licenses. So can you explain a little bit like what are these and how it's implemented into your work? The can't be evil licenses are a set of licenses that A16Z Crypto have come out with. A16Z Crypto was the lead investor in our last fundraising round. They're some of our most amazing partners. And their Can't Be Evil licenses 
are, I think, a set of different licenses that they have published so that NFT projects can publish them and they're, they're like super collector friendly. We're incredibly supportive of anyone who's sort of like pushing the ball forward with respect to NFT licensing and commercial rights and all of those different things. I mean, our entire business, I think, is, is first of all, born out of the fact that we had the commercial rights to Ape 1798, but also is based off of the fact that like people want those rights and want to use those rights. We don't have a direct affiliation with the Can't Be Evil licenses. We're fully supportive and, and really admire the work that A16Z Crypto is doing to like push the space forward in what we think is like a really community member friendly way. And we've adopted something similar to the Can't Be Evil licenses for our upcoming collection, Azurbala, where essentially what we do in that license is we're offering people the irrevocable, full, complete, uncapped commercial rights. Basically, if you own the avatar, that is yours. You can do what you want with it, subject to like not literally breaking the law with it, which I think is actually better for like the entire collection. But the 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 main point there is is irrevocable, which means that in any case, if someone else were to sort of take over decision-making at Tally Labs, the business was acquired, the business broke apart, like you name it, in any case, somebody can't change those rights. And that's something that we're like really proud of because what that means is the minute you have an Azurian in your wallet, that's yours. You can do what you want with it and Tally Labs can't change that. And, and, and we hope to see more of that in the space for sure. Yeah. Good, good breakdown and explanation. I know even when like Yuga bought CryptoPunks, there was a lot of concern for how the rights could change or holders could be impacted. And that just caused a lot of discussion. So very cool to know that, you know, when you, how you're implementing IP into your project. So to wrap up here, I've got three questions. You don't both have to answer, but you can if you both want to. Normally, I, I'm just kind of one-on-one with guests, but these are my one, two, web three so the first question I got is, who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, or collector that's really inspired or educated you? That's a really good question. I'm a huge fan of Zeneca. I think Zeneca is amazing and is really humble and just delivers so much value without really asking for anything in return. And is just like a super kind person. So I'll have to say Zeneca. Sweet. I can't, I can't beat Zeneca. Awesome. No, yeah, Zeneca is <laughs> a good answer. All right. Second question. What's your favorite NFT? I mean, quite literally, it's Ape1798, Jenkins the Valet, other like collections or companies in the space that like I really admire include Pixel Vault. I think that they were revolutionary in some major ways, and I believe will continue to do so. And maybe a weird answer, but I can't, you know, not give a nod to CryptoPunks. I don't think like we're here without punks. 100%. I'll say like the most cliche cop-out answer of all time, I guess second to Ape 1798, and that's the Board Ape Yacht Club. So got to throw it back and, and pay homage and shout out, you know, the company that paved the way for, for us to exist. No, I love it. And Board Apes really got me into the NFT rabbit hole and led me to what I'm doing today too. So shout out to them. And last question for you, in five years, what do you think the craziest thing we'll be doing in the metaverse is that people just aren't thinking about yet? Too soon to say like rocking the V1 Azurian previews. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think that certainly there are going to be hugely successful like MMOs 
But I think that people in the metaverse will be working together to create passive content like books and movies and podcasts and shows. And they won't even need to leave the space to be like knockout successes. I believe that in five years going mainstream in Web3 is going to be the mainstream coming to us rather than us going to them. Very cool. Well said. Yeah, I don't know if I could top that either. I think if, if, if that happens, Tally Labs is in like a really good spot. Yeah, I really appreciate how your take is writing and content creating focus. So yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. All right, to close this out, can you let people know where to find you, connect with you online after listening to this podcast? At Jenkins Valet, at Tally Labs NFT, at Azerbala for the brand accounts, and then at C-Ape, follow Ape for me and at Valet Jones for my esteemed colleague. Amazing. Well, Valet Jones, C8 Follow Ape, thank you so much for joining this conversation, this podcast episode. I, I enjoyed talking through your creation process, what you learned, the challenges along the way. Web3 writing is an interesting area and you two are definitely pioneering in it with Jenkins the Valet. So appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe wherever you're listening at, throw a like or comment on your favorite platform. Really helps us continue to grow and goes a long way. With that, I'll see you next week with another episode. I'll catch you in the metaverse. Peace out. Thanks, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.